um, any Ferris State Bulldogs in the crowd today? Uh, I know, I see, I knew there'd be a couple, I knew there'd be a few. Um, congratulations, they, uh, they took out my, uh, my GV Lakers yesterday in the playoffs. It was uh, not fun to be a Laker. Uh, but there was something I was thinking about um, when I was there. Uh, I've had the privilege of being the chaplain for the, for the GV football team the last couple of uh, seasons, and so that means that I get to be on the sidelines with them when, uh, when we're getting ready for the game and, and, and during the game. And they always play a hype video at the beginning. And uh, I've come to, to appreciate it and enjoy it. Uh, Wolfman Jack, uh, which uh, you got to be at least my age to even know who that is. Uh, this, is uh, this is a little taste of the hype video that they play to get the crowd going. Amen. It's time for the biggest, baddest party in the world. So get on up, turn it up a notch, and get ready to boogie, baby. Wolfman Jack. Everybody's like uh, getting on their feet. They're getting excited. What, what's a hype video supposed to do? Get you hyped, right? Get you ready to be engaged in the game. Get you going. Uh, tell you that something important is about to happen, and you ought to be paying attention. That's what, that's what a hype video does. Uh, we're in the Advent season. Advent is actually intended to do that for us as well, to Make us aware that something important is coming. Make us stand up and take notice, pay attention. The king is coming. Uh, we uh, do all kinds of different things to get ourselves ready for Christmas, don't we? Uh, I got all kinds of different uh, activities that uh, my family likes to do. Uh, there's some things that I just kind of know are, are getting me ready. Like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the anti, like, you can't play Christmas music until after Thanksgiving, but uh, there is starting to be a, a testing of my patience with like 105.7 starting to play that Christmas music like in July or something and uh, Black Friday starting so early. But um, every, every house has a hype man when it comes to Christmas, okay? I want you just to think about your family. Who is that person in your family that is like Christmas to the T? Like they, like they can't, all right, what are the things that get them hyped uh, go ahead and turn to your neighbor, talk about the things that get them hyped, or the things that get you hyped, because maybe you're that person. What's the stuff that gets you ready for the season? All right, I'm going to pull you back. Uh, there, there's, uh, there's a couple of things that, uh, for me, uh, get me going, get me hyped, get me ready. Uh, when I start seeing commercials for Elf... I know it's about that time. Uh, when, I, when I go on Netflix to see what's the newest Christmas Prince movie that they're going to come out with, oh, don't act like y'all don't love it. Christmas Prince, so good. Uh, but the big thing is really what we do the day after Thanksgiving. Uh, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a family that we were a fake tree family, all right? Got that musty thing out of the musty basement every year, opened it up, clicked it together, plugged it in, put some things like that. I was like, that's my, I'm going to have that life the rest, the rest of my existence uh, until I met Brenda. And Brenda was like, no, we ain't having a fake tree in our house. So we go tree hunting every day after Thanksgiving, all right? 
Uh, this is us this past year. I am the hype man for our tree, all right? We got to find the right tree. And I always go into the field thinking, oh, we're going to get a small one this year. Like this year, like we need to find, and then we always wind up getting something bigger than we anticipated because I'm like, no, no, it can't be that one. I will make my kids look at like 70 different trees like, dad, they're all the same. I'm like, no, they're not. You got to look at each branch, each year of growth. What's going on? How's it doing? Hype man. Everybody needs a hype man when it comes to the Christmas season. Uh, Jesus had a hype man. But Jesus' hype man was JTB, Justin Theodore Bieber, with that Christmas album, am I, am I right? I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Some of y'all believers are like, that's not even his middle name. I don't know, I made it up, but uh, no, JTB, John the Baptist, that's Jesus' hype man. Now you're like, all right, who in the world is John the Baptist? I've heard of John the Baptist before, but, but who was he? So John the Baptist uh, is actually Jesus' cousin. Now, we don't know how close of a cousin he was. Um, probably uh, could have been at closest, would have been like second or third cousin. Uh, probably was a distant relative, to be honest. Uh, but they, they are John's mom, Elizabeth, and Jesus' mom, Mary, were related. And not only were they related, uh, but they actually had a close-knit relationship. So we think they were probably closely related. In fact, when Mary found out that she was pregnant and unmarried, which would have made her the scorn of her community, an outcast, a pariah, she actually travels to spend time with Elizabeth, her older cousin. Elizabeth was safe for Mary. And they have a relationship, and we know that Jesus and John are actually uh, born around the same time, within a few months of each other, and, and, and they grow up together. Uh, not in the exact same town. Um, in fact, I'll show you a picture uh, up here of a map. Uh, if you look uh, kind of down near the bottom where it says Dead Sea, just to the left, you see Bethany, just above that is Jerusalem, it's underlined. John grew up around Jerusalem. John's dad was a priest, Zechariah. He worked at the temple. Uh, John himself probably would have followed in his father's footsteps and would have been training to be a priest. Uh, Jesus actually grows up uh, on the north side. If you follow the river all the way up, um, you'll see uh, the lake up there and uh, kind of around that Capernaum, Bethsaida area on the northern side of Galilee. That's where Jesus grew up. But we know that Jesus and his family often came down to Jerusalem to celebrate different things and would get together with family. And So we know that Jesus and John uh, knew each other fairly well while they were growing up. How much time exactly they spent, we're not 100% sure, but they had a relationship. And uh, Elizabeth, John's mom, and Zechariah, his dad, had received a prophecy about who John was going to be. John doesn't wind up following his father into the priesthood, but rather winds up becoming a priest. Uh, sorry, a prophet, uh, one who uh, begins to call the people towards something. He is the forerunner to Jesus as the Messiah. He knows that his cousin, his just slightly younger cousin, is God in flesh, Yahweh come down, the long-awaited Messiah, and he knows that it's his job to tell the people, prepare themselves, the king is coming. And so uh, all of the Gospels actually start off with John the Baptist uh, kind of giving this message. 
The message that John gives is actually a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 40, and he's going to do that here in Luke chapter 3. If you have your Bible, I'd love you to follow along with me in Luke chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be reading verses uh, 1 through 18, and then I want to spend a, just a little bit of time talking uh, about it today. This is actually going to be part one of a two-part message. Today's part one. Next week, I'm going to do part two, and uh, I'll share with you kind of what the two uh, pieces uh, actually entail. So let's go ahead and read together. Luke chapter 3. I love Luke. Uh, Luke, when he writes this, he's like an investigative reporter. And so Luke is very much interested in giving details and helping us uh, know how to put things into uh, time and place. Uh, you're going to see that in just a second. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip Tetrarch of Ituria, and whatever that dude's name is with an itis at the end, and Lysantius Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, We get it, Luke. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, John the Baptist, in the wilderness. You want to see what the wilderness looked like? Uh, can we flash, flash back just for a quick second? That's what the wilderness looked like. There's nothing out there. It's barren, rocky, hard. You're always looking for water. You're always trying to find any vegetation at all. All right, let's flip back to our passage. Verse 3, he went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. And here we have John beginning to speak. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, as he quotes Isaiah 40, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in or raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough way smooth, and all the people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers. <laughs> He's such a nice, gentle guy. Uh, <laughs> these are people that have literally come out to be baptized by John. And he's like, You snake babies. Uh, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. He's looking around, they're all like, yeah, yeah, we're God's children. We are the, and he's like, man, what you think you are, it makes no difference. God can take these carpet squares and make kids for himself if that's what he needs to do. So God can raise up children for Abraham right out of the rocks. The ax is already at the root of the trees, he says, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. All the people say, what shall we do then? John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with, uh, with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even the tax collectors, who are like the lowest of the low in Jewish society, okay, they are absolute traitors to their brothers and sisters. Uh, they come to him, and they ask the same thing, teacher, what should we do? And he just says, don't collect any more than you are required to. Then some soldiers, these are Roman soldiers, they're there as well. They come to John out in the wilderness. What should we do? And he's like, don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and wondering, uh, were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John, verse 16, answered them all, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. 
His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. Now, when we read John speaking, right, he starts off with a proclamation, a promise that had been made. He quotes Isaiah chapter 40, and then he goes on to say some pretty tough stuff. John's no joke. He's not afraid to say what needs to be said, but he's not doing it from a place of anger. He's not doing it because he's mean-spirited. In fact, quite honestly, people wouldn't be flocking to him out in the wilderness to hear him preach this message of repentance unless they understood that John was in it because of his great love and compassion for the people. He didn't want them to miss the very thing that has the possibility and the potential to change their lives, their very eternities, if they were willing to believe and step into that relationship. The king is coming. Now, uh, what I want to do this morning is uh, really focus on the prophecy that he quotes from Isaiah 40. Um, That's where we're going to find kind of our two pieces. Uh, The rest of the text will help to kind of inform what John's talking about. But what John says at the very beginning is the king is coming. We need to make a road for him, a highway for him. Now, uh, John is speaking during the Roman Empire. Uh, in Jerusalem, there were certainly roads, but most of the roads were not paved roads the way you and I think of roads today, okay? Uh, Roads were incredibly expensive to build. Took tons and tons of manpower, uh, engineering, lots and lots of uh, work, uh, time. The average person couldn't build a road. How did roads get made? Well, wherever you happen to walk, over and over, All right, a path would form, and then more people walk on it, and the path kind of gets bigger, and then you start dragging, you know, a a cart through it, and the path kind of becomes this, like, rutted-like thing. Now, uh, if you, though, come up on a boulder, what do you do? You don't move the boulder. You can't. You ain't got the time. You ain't got the money. You ain't got the willpower. You ain't got the strength. You just walk around it, and so your path isn't straight. Your path gets crooked, right? You come up on on a ditch, You don't fill in the ditch. You just figure out the best way to get down into the ditch and get back up out of the ditch. You come to a hill. You don't get rid of the hill. You just walk it up this way and then walk it up that way and then walk it up until you're at the top and then you do the same thing to get back down. Nobody could do what's being talked about unless you were a king. The only people that had the money to build a paved straight road were kings. And we actually have lots of evidence from writings as well as uh, excavations. Uh, When kings would take a trip, this is what they would do. Uh, Because the king's entourage couldn't make it on these little crooked, crazy roads. And so they would send a herald out, and the herald would say, hey, uh, the king's coming, and he's coming through your town to wherever he's going. We need to straighten some things out. We need to get rid of some of these obstacles. The ditch has got to be filled in. Those hills, man, we got to figure out a way to to move that so that we can make a straight road. Uh, If you ever go to ancient Roman uh, site where there's like Roman, you will see in Rome, like there is a street that is straight. Rome is built on all these hills. It is flat, it is straight, and it is paved. Huge money to do that. Only a king could do that. And John the Baptist says, hey, man, Not just a king, but the king of kings is coming. And that's why we need to 
not just take out hills and, and, and fill in some ditches. We need to drop mountains. We need to raise up valleys. We need to take crooked things and make them straight, rough things and make them level, because the king of kings is coming. Now, he, he's not talking about a physical road that needs to be built. What John is saying is that there is a road that lives in all of our hearts. And if we are going to be ready for the arrival of the king, we're going to have to do some excavation of our hearts. There's some things that are high, big mountains that got to be taken out. There's some valleys that are low that need to be raised up in our hearts, which is really what the gospel message has always been. The gospel message, which is good news but doesn't look at it at the very beginning, is simply this. You are more wicked than you ever dared believe. There's some mountains in your life that got to be taken out. But you are more loved and accepted than you could ever dare hope. There are some valleys that God desires to raise up in your life. You are more wicked than you ever dared believe. Woo! We don't like hearing that one. But you are more loved and accepted than you could ever dare hope. Now, today we're going to talk about the mountain. This is not the fun one. This is the down one. This is the thing we got to remove, bring down. Next week, we'll talk about the valleys that needs to be lifted up. But today, we're going to talk about the mountain. And there's four ways that we take down mountains and raise up valleys. Two are the down. That's rely and obey. That's what we're going to talk about today. And then there's two that are the up, the raising up of the valleys, and that's relax and expect. We'll deal with those next way, uh, next week. So to start off, I want to just simply say this. Number one, you uh, aren't treating Jesus as king in your heart unless you learn to rely on Jesus. You are not treating Jesus as king unless you learn to rely on Jesus. Now, uh, rely is actually the word that I'm kind of using for repentance. You're like, what, is, what do you mean? Like repentance and rely, those seem like two really different things. How, what are you talking about? It's a great question. So glad that you asked. Let's talk about repentance a little bit. John the Baptist talks a lot about repentance, repent. And that kind of sounds like the kind of thing that you would only hear in church, right? When's the last time you were just like having a good normal conversation with your barista and like repentance got dropped? <laughs> right? Probably never, right? Uh, you're, you're, you're hanging out with some friends. Uh, repentance is just not one of those words that come. So I think a lot of us, we hear it and we think like, oh yeah, that's like what those old tiny like gospel preachers that are on the street or like in a tent somewhere out in the country, they're talking about repentance. We don't talk a whole lot about repentance. Now, if you're in church, you probably heard the word before. You may even know like what the uh, official definition of, I, I heard it when I was fairly young. I don't remember if it was when I was in Bible college or even earlier. Uh, repentance, the word literally means uh, to turn and walk another way. Like you're walking this way and then you turn and walk another way. So I was doing these things and I'm turning and I'm doing these things. And so way too often, we think that repentance is simply changing our behavior. Oh, that's what repentance is. I'm supposed to, like, act different. But John actually says something to us that's really, really helpful. Before I share that, though, I think it's easy even from the text to think that John's telling us to do the same thing. Because what happens when the people come to him? They say, John, what do we do? And what does he tell them? 
You got two shirts? Give one of the shirts to somebody who doesn't have any. You got extra food? Give it to someone who doesn't have enough food. The tax collectors come, right? They say the same thing. This is in verse 10, 11 and 12. Tax collectors come, they, they say, what should we do? And he's like, yo, stop, stop stealing taxes that aren't yours to steal. Roman soldiers come, same thing. Stop extorting people. Stop falsely accusing them. So he's talking about these behaviors. And so way too often I think we can think repentance is like I changed my behaviors. But that's actually not repentance. Repentance is not changing your behaviors. Repentance is changing your heart. Uh, John actually tells us this because in verse 8, he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And then he goes on to tell them what that fruit looks like. Look, if your heart has been changed, your behaviors will change. But repentance is not something that you just do. Repentance is something that happens inside of you. And then you begin to experience the fruit of that thing. In fact, when John says, uh, yo, 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 uh, the ax is at the root of the tree. About to get cut down. In other words, you better do some of the dropping of mountains, the recognition of those things that are not God, because uh, God's not going to deal with that. You either cut it out or God cuts it down. It's not a fun, nobody's like, whoa, yeah, give me more, John. But John does it out of his actual genuine love. These aren't necessarily messages we love hearing, but they are messages that we need to hear. It's kind of like when there's something that's attacking you, drop some acid on yourself. Nobody's going to be like, hey, 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 just don't tell them. <laughs> No, 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 you're going to try to like figure out how do I get something to get rid of the acid before it destroys me. Well, that's what John's doing. He's like, this is, this is a big deal. Repentance is changing the heart, what we believe in, what we put our trust in. This is why I say that when we drop mountains, it actually has more to do with who we're relying on. Who we're relying on. Are you relying on yourself or are you relying on God? And we actually get this from what John the Baptist says. Uh, did you see what he called the people that came out to be baptized by him? These are people that literally are coming out into the wilderness because they want to be baptized by John. They want to hear his message. They want to be baptized by him. They want their, 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 their sins to be. And what does he do to these people that are coming to him? He calls them, you brood of vipers. A bunch of viper babies, snake babies. He's like, you're a bunch of snake babies. Well, good morning to you too, John. Why does he say this? Well, because John knows his Bible. John knows that it was a, a serpent that first messed up humanity, that first came at humanity. And what did that serpent do to Adam and Eve in the garden? What did the serpent Did the serpent come and did the serpent say to Adam and Eve, you should disobey God. You should not do what God says. No, that's not what he said. What, what, what did the serpent say? Does anybody remember? The serpent said, can you really trust him? Does God really have your best interest in mind? Don't you think God's probably holding something back from you? I know he said you, you could eat of any tree, just not this one. Why do you think he's telling you you can't have that one? I bet if, I bet if you took it, I bet if you took it, you'd find that it's actually awesome. It's actually delicious. All the things that you want in life will be found if you just don't listen to what God says. He doesn't really have your best interest in mind. 
He's trying to protect himself. Deep in our heart is the lie of the serpent. And we all feel it. Comes up stronger certain times for each of us. Certain things trigger that feeling, bring it up, make us wonder. I feel it sometimes. And when these people come out, John says, hey, 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 you're snake babies. And they're like, no, 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 we are, we're Abraham's kids, baby. We are like, we're the, we're the, in, we're the in crowd. We got it together. And he's like, no, no, you don't. Because you just think it's all about outside stuff. What you're connected to, what you look like, how often you go to church. You got to actually pay attention to the inside stuff first. Real repentance is a change of heart. Now, it always shows itself with action, with obedience. It shows itself with a change of behavior, but that is the fruit, the evidence of something that's already happened inside. Make sure that the thing has happened inside that you're not just going through the motions. There are some mountains that we need to drop in our own hearts, some excavation to build a road that the king can come down. The second thing that he says is that you're not treating Jesus as king unless you obey Jesus. When the king comes, he does not adapt to our roads. We adapt to his. When the king comes, he does not adapt to our roads. We adapt to his. Uh, John the Baptist is quoting uh, Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, I want to read Isaiah chapter 40 uh, for us. Um, I think that there's something that's valuable for us to, to see there. Isaiah Here's this message from God. This is actually God speaking. He says, comfort, comfort my people, Isaiah. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. Her sin has been paid for. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And then God says this, a voice of one calling. And this is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is that voice, all right? In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Do you see how Lord is written up there? Uh, oh, it's, it's not. Sorry, that's okay. In your Bibles. Uh, anytime, you've probably heard me say this before, but anytime you see the word Lord in the Old Testament, you will often see it with a capital L and then smaller capital O-R-D. Okay, anytime that they're all capitalized letters, that's actually God's proper name. That's the name Yahweh. That's God's intimate name, his personal name, his first name. God says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for Yahweh. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Valleys shall be raised up, mountains made low, rough ground becomes level, a rugged place like a plain, smooth. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. And then he says, for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. Um, for a long time, God's been sending individuals to rescue his kids. His kids get in trouble, okay? God has to send an individual to rescue them. Uh, the first one that kind of pops on the scene is uh, Moses. Uh, God's kids are in bondage in Egypt, and uh, God sends Moses to rescue them. But quickly, they fall back down into evil. God then, when Moses died, gives them Joshua. Joshua helps lead them into the land, and then God's Kids fall back down into evil. And so God brings uh, the judges at that point. You got Ehud, Othniel, you got Deborah, all right? 
Samson, God brings up, and they turn and change, and then they fall back down into evil. Then God brings the kings, Saul and David, and so, same thing, and they fall back down into evil. And now God's brought the prophets, and the prophets are, are speaking these words, and Isaiah finally realizes something that's so powerful and important and amazing. He finally realizes that the only way that anyone will ever finally be saved is if the one who has been sending all the deliverers will come himself. God's not sending another person. He's going to send himself. And so when John the Baptist says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, that's me. Make straight the paths for the Lord. That's Jesus, Yahweh, God in flesh coming to save us. Um, when God shows up, friends, we have to let him be God. God offends every single culture that mankind has ever created. Uh, there's cultures in uh, the past, and even they still exist to this day, um, that uh, things uh, that God has said, like, just flies in the face of. There are some cultures that if you shed blood, okay, uh, if, I, if I kill your brother or, or your sister, uh, you are bound to have to kill me. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Honor and shame cultures are often connected to that. All right? We're Americans, though. We're like, no, that's, that's like, we can accept, we, can, we would never want that kind of a God, right? A God that offers forgiveness, even for shed blood, what? Some cultures like, no way. I mean, that, that's kind of true like in gang culture. You take out one of my homies, I'm, we're all rolling up for you. You see that uh, with drug cartels. That's still happening today, and there are other places in the world where that's still real. Not us, though, no, no, no. Uh, we like a God of forgiveness. That's a good, like, yeah, bring on the grace. Bring it on. What we don't like in America is we don't like a God of judgment. Mm-mm-mm. No, no, no. We are, we are way too modern and advanced. We would not ever fall back into that. We're too, we know too, too well. See, every single culture has a problem with God somewhere, some way. And all of us that grew up in that culture have built roads in our hearts that think God's got to conform to my roads. But when God shows up, we don't conform. He doesn't conform to our roads. We conform to his. And so there are times where there are mountains that we've got to actually take down. And that's what I think God is the one today trying to say that to us. To obey simply means to let God be God. Now, I'm closing right now. And uh, I was thinking about this all week because I was like, ooh, Lord, like this feels like it's, it's Christmas. Like shouldn't it be like happy and cheery and, you know, like let's go, Christmas, twinkle lights. <sighs> and yet if I'm going to be honest to the gospel, the reason that Christ comes to bring hope into a dark world, the first thing that I have to pay attention to is the darkness inside myself. I can't experience life and life to the full that Jesus wants for me if I'm not willing to take some mountains down so that he can come into my heart. And you may be feeling a little like uh, possibly offended this morning. Some of you might be like, man, I really, I, sh I got up, got dressed, came to church so that I could hear this, another message of judgment. I feel so judged. I get it. If you're feeling uh, offended or frustrated, all right, get in line. 
and get in line behind me because I feel it too. But what I know deep in my heart and what I've experienced time and time again is that every time that I try to put myself on the throne of my own life, things don't go the way that I hope. It might feel good for a minute, but it always leads to failure. It always leads to disappointment. It always leads to dissatisfaction. But when I'm willing to take myself down, when I'm willing to remove the mountain so that Jesus can come in, when I let him sit on the throne, I don't always love everything. I'll be honest. But it's when I start to experience life and life to the full. It's when I start to experience satisfaction that I've never had before, a a sense of purpose. That's why Jesus came. It's what he wants. But it will require removing myself, yourself, from the throne of your life. And that's always a difficult process. And so I want to give us just a minute right now as we close. I just want you to take a second and I just want you to sit with God and say, God, is there something in my life? Is there a mountain that I need to kind of drop? Am I the one that's, at, that's sitting on the throne right now? How do I let you in, Jesus? So just take a second and just sit with him and see if there's something that God wants to say to you, if there's something you want to say to him. Father God, the, the difficulty, the harshness, the heart hardness, the, the thing I struggle with in the gospel is the truth that I'm more wicked than I could even begin to imagine. But the beauty, the amazing thing of the gospel is that I'm, I'm more loved and accepted than I could ever even dare dream. for us to know you, to have a heart that is able to drop mountains, to do the hard and painful work of removing ourselves from the throne of our lives, to relying on you, to obeying you, allowing you to be God and me not to be. <laughs> God, that's, uh, it's hard, but it's so worth it. And it's so everything that I want. And God, I know that there's some folks out here that are having that conversation with you right now too. It's hard to, to be in need of somebody else, someone else, and yet, God, we are. We need you. And so this Christmas season, as we prepare for the arrival of Jesus, not just as the little baby Jesus, but also as the conquering king who is going to return again one day and make all things new, all things right, all sad things come untrue. We say yes and amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Thanks for never giving up on us. Thanks that even when we were rebellious and pushing you away, you still came near. Thanks for being willing, Father, to send your one and only Son to this earth. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Friends, thanks for being here uh, this morning. Thanks for beginning to engage with us. Uh, this is the uh, uh, slightly harder uh, message of uh, part one and part two. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about what it looks like to actually see those valleys raised up. 
what it means to rest and relax because of who God is and what the gospel teaches us. And I can't wait to continue that with you. Friends, we are in this season and we are supposed to be mini JTBs, all right? Justin Theodore Bieber's, if you wanna be a believer, or John the Baptist, we're minis. We're the ones that are going out and telling the world, heralds, that Jesus has come and it's coming again. What a beautiful thing we have to be able to share. Let's share it this week. I can't wait to see y'all next week. Out these doors to the left, if you're a guest, please stop by the guest tub. We'd love to say hi. Grab a couple things for our Kenneshay teachers on your way out the door. We'll see y'all next week.